You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your queue. Welcome to the Hunt of War podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 86, Shane Ball, Stuffed Pasta and Meat Sauce. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick welcomes back Shane Ball, a former professional chef, hunter, and all-around stud in making pasta. First on the plate, taking spaghetti from good to better without a whole lot of effort. An easy how-to to make a quality tomato sauce, and then a deep dive into a pet project that Nick is doing, whitetail liver and leek ravioli with a mushroom cream sauce. Does this sound incredible? Well, buckle up and get your notes ready for this next episode of Huntivore. Well, hey, folks. Beautiful 
evening here in Michigan. And uh, yeah, we're reaching the end of firearm season. Uh, I believe we take a quick little break and then the muzzle loaders come back out. I, by all means, the chase for venison has not ended yet. But at the same time, we're going to take a break from the woods. We're coming inside. We're going to warm up by that fire. In fact, on the, uh, on the phone tonight, or at least uh, through the Zoom tonight, I have a friend from the Great White North. I am with Shane Ball. He's uh, the at couch cook. If you've been on Instagram, you've, you've come across him. And if you haven't, I think you're living under a rock. Shane, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, do you have snow on the ground over there? You're in the Toronto area, right? I'm I'm in Alberta, so uh, Western Canada. Um, oh, that's right. You're the I Western Western, Western. Guy. yeah. Calgary, yeah, is yeah. Your city, Calgary. Calgary is my city, and uh, shockingly, no snow on the ground yet. It has been a very not white uh, hunting season, which is very unusual. Usually, this time of year, we got probably close to half a foot of snow, at least, maybe even a foot, and it's been brown. And uh, wasn't ha- that's the end of our hunting season, and there was no snow this season at all. It was unbelievable. So, well, we bummer. Are. Sorry, you didn't get your snow. Did you at least bag <sighs> an animal? I did. I did. I got a couple, couple deer, couple deer this year. A couple nice mule, a nice muley buck, muley doe, as well. And uh, helped on a uh, on a bull moose hunt for my uncle. Called in a bull moose for him. Didn't get my bull moose though, but I did do. I do have a good couple hundred pounds of uh the shared the shared harvest from my uncle's hunt so happy with that for sure that's awesome that's awesome i that is the bucket list uh the the whole moose hunt it's a, like a prehistoric animal like i mean you walk up to even a whitetail if you've got that opportunity to like as a hunter be on the ground the same time as a deer is and be up close you really like you finally get a good size comparison up in a tree stand you can't quite grasp like just the size the animal is on the hoof and to be in the same presence as a moose like that they are just huge behemoths oh man uh it doesn't get old it does not get old uh even because the moose draw here is a little less frequent than say uh your elk because elk are our general tag here in, bull elk are general tags here in alberta so usually you're hunting elk every year and of course, every year, if, if you're lucky enough to harvest an elk, you're, of course, just mesmerized by the size of one of those things. You know, it's, it never gets old. You walk up to an elk, you're like, oh, this thing's huge. It's at least three good-sized deer, at least. And uh, that blows your mind. Well, then, you know, every five years or so, you get drawn for your bull moose tag up here. It's on special draw. And you get that moose. And you see them in the bush. You see them driving down the highways here. But when you see it there laying on the ground and you have to get that thing out of the woods, I think it's <laughs> 10 times bigger than, than you remember seeing it. That is a, that is, it is mind blowing how majestic and uh, large those animals are. I'm telling you, it's, it's a real treat to be able to have those uh, in our part of the world, like phenomenal hunt. They, they live in such incredible country and habitat and topography. They're just, they're, it's a, it's a, real blessing to be able to hunt those animals and if you ever have the opportunity get on it man. it's a good hunt will do will do so well congratulations on a successful hunt that's that's great thank you 
So what's the plans now? Actually, I got to back up a little bit because yeah. we we haven't talked in a little while. And I think you were preparing for uh, a kickboxing fight that you were going to have. I think it was right around November is when that yeah. was. Uh, so we're now breaking into to December. Um, that was a that was a clear knockout. If I remember right, you had a clear knockout on your opponent. Ta- tell so, me about uh, it. Yeah, so uh, I had two fights actually. I had one in the the one in September that you're talking about, end of September, okay. middle of my elk hunting season. Uh, I was, you know, I lost some valuable days there, but you know. <laughs> I made the guy pay for it. There you go. If he's going to call you up in September. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to call me up for a bout in September. You're going to pay the ultimate price. Let me tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so I did have that one, uh, that, that uh, match in uh, September, right in the middle of my uh, hunting season. But that is the one that I got the uh, big uh, knockout finish in. Tough fight. That one was, it was a tough guy. The, this guy, my opponent there was um, from uh, Saskatchewan, so the province over uh, to the east of Alberta. And uh, those farm boys are known to be a little bit <laughs> tougher than you wish they were. <laughs> so, so he came out. We had a good tilt the first round. Second round, uh, I picked up his patterns into how he was setting up some of his combinations. And I was uh, able to counter him with uh, a left hand that sent, uh, sent him to the moon. <laughs> awesome took him for a ride took him for a ride but then you know i had this one i, two, I had another about two weeks ago or uh, on the 20th of november uh on a promotion called muay thai world cup it's one of it's definitely the largest uh muay thai promotion kickboxing muay thai same thing relatively the same thing uh promotion in uh, canada arguably north america get a lot of uh, international fighters on this card and uh, i had a very very good opponent experienced opponent and uh, i ended up losing in a split decision um very good fight though uh, to be honest i'm happier with this loss than i was with my knockout win just because i learned so much from it and uh, it was just overall a better fight uh, i was way more technical so it was you know i was able to uh fight how i wanted to rather than even though those knockouts are sweet that that fight was a little bit more scrappy than I wanted it to and uh, had to rely on the Hail Mary KO to put this guy away, <laughs> which is sweet, but it's not, you know, as a fighter, I like to be uh, technical and, and uh, kind of like how I like to cook, you know, if I have to throw something together, I will. But if yeah. I have the choice, I'd rather you take my time and uh, execute with perfection. And uh, the loss that I took, I didn't really, you know, I was able to do uh, fight my fight a little bit more how I like to fight. I uh, just came up just short. It was a super, super close fight, but it was a good one. Uh, I'll be posting uh, the full video for that one. You should go check it out one day. It's, it's a good one. Oh, good deal. Good deal. It My my world of being a, a high school wrestler and a, a folk style wrestler is, is a little, I mean, it's a little different, but it's very similar in the aspect where you're saying like you appreciated the loss more than say the knockout. It's like, I can totally resonate with that because I've got a couple either losses or wins where it was like, you know, by the, 
skin in my teeth where it's literally like one reversal is all it was versus a guy that you go pin in in the first period it's like you know i i forget about who that was and i forget about like what's that going on but then man when you get a state placer that comes out and it's like all right there's something on the line here and the whole thing's decided by you know one or two points it really does yeah. like it imprints itself as a as a true memory so yeah so now totally. you actually fight mao thai as right or, or are you uh, yeah, just a kickboxing style still uh, with the Muay Thai? So, yeah, Muay Thai, kickboxing are relatively same. Only difference being in Muay Thai, which is Thai boxing. It originates from Thailand. Uh, is You can use elbows. And um, and there is an aspect of the fight called the clinch. Like a typical, you know, if you were to clinch and rest, you know, more like body locks, sweeps and trips. Whereas in kickboxing rules, you can't. Uh, if you catch a kick, for example, you uh, you can't sweep your opponent out onto his head or anything like that. Whereas in Muay Thai, you can do that. Gotcha. And uh, those are big points. That's a big, the clinch, like fighting in a clinch is a big point of scoring in Muay Thai. And my other fights, most of my other fights are in kickboxing. So it was a big uh, adjustment in the rule set uh, going into Muay Thai, this, this Muay Thai rule set bout that uh, scored those sweeps. Um, very like very favorably so if those if you're if you're getting swept one or two times the the judges will look that look at that as a bigger score than say a hard uh, or like really good boxing if you're boxing the guy up you're punching his lights out and rocking him on his feet and he's doing the chicken dance but he uh they will still score a big sweep higher than than uh than good boxing combinations or big boxing punches so that's different for me. I'm coming from a style that I like to box people up a little bit more. So learning that rule set's a big learning experience as well. But both both relatively same. The both the end goal is the same. Avoid the scorecard. Avoid exactly. decisions. Make that guy fall down finish. more than you. <laughs> make him more. Make him. Yeah, exactly. Man. Make him uh, quit before you do. That's the name of the game for me every single time. That's how I like to fight. And, uh, you know, this one here. When you get good opponents, it's just, it's, there's a level to it. Well, good deal. Good deal. Well, Hey, we've been, man, we went from the woods now to the ring. Let's get back into the kitchen. Let's, uh, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, just some of the projects that you're working on right now, if folks, uh, folks are tuning in, you're working on, you were doing something with seafood there. You had yourself a lobster out going with a, a no waste method. Talk to me a little bit about what, what that project is that you're putting together. Just generally, uh, so not even just lobster, but in general, a big, big part of my uh, my cooking theory is just minimal waste, right? So absolutely using everything in every way possible is, uh, is really important to me, just mainly for a million reasons, but mainly just for your own economic <laughs> uh, basics, right? Like saving potato skins to make like a, potato broth or to add them into, you know, to fry them up and make uh, potato skins, you know, crispy potato skins, you know, there's just so many um, things that go to waste that shouldn't go to waste. And a lobster is a great, a phenomenal uh, example of that, because quite literally, aside from the gills of the lobster, um, and even then you could, you could use them uh, in the lobster, uh, you could use everything and use everything in different applications. So um, what I like to do typically with the lobster is 
save the shells, the claw, like the claw shells, the body, the bodies and the heads for bisque, like a lobster soup or broths or stocks or fumets and make, uh, and from there make like a Spanish paella, uh, or something like that. Um, and then use the meat in very, you know, typically I'll use it all, you know, it's a lobster. So it's not like you're getting 30 pounds of meat off them. You're just getting a couple pounds and you can make one recipe, but I like to make variations. So in claws, uh, since they're a bit sweeter, I'll use the claws for uh, lobster rolls or salads and different variations like that. And then I'll use the tail meat for something a little bit more delicate. You know, I just, just like to show the versatility of the, the lobster and not just lobster, but most try to do it with everything really, but definitely lobster, definitely crab, definitely most shellfish, especially because like I said, the entirety of that, that uh, animal or that species can, can be uh, utilized and it, every bit of it's delicious. It's not like one part of it's even better than the other, uh, you know, where you might think that about some certain mammals where you know people have preference to this over that to me it's hard to preference any one part of the lobster over the other so a lot of people waste especially the shells i just cry tears every time it happens nick i'm telling you i cry i cry when they just go in the garbage I, yeah, I do. I'm with you. I we had a, just a, a butcher party with the guys uh, breaking down a couple deer, and the one guy's comment, he's just like, he, he they wanted to go burger and they wanted to go, you know, steaks. That's all. That's all he wanted. That's how he was going to eat it. And I'm like, beautiful. Let, let's go ahead and do that. And so we're doing that, and he was about getting ready to throw the, the rib cages just to throw that right in the bag. And I'm like, dude, you got you got six to eight pounds right there. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh yeah, but you know, it's going to take a long time for us to figure that, you know, to you know, clean it all up. And I'm like, we don't got any place to go. We've got cold beer. We've got <laughs> we've got four <laughs> knives running. Let's go. And yeah. I think I think we kind of a couple light bulbs went off because I think people were, I think they're realizing like a little bit of time invested. Like, yes, you are going to have to do some work. But with that little bit of work, the payoff is going to be beneficial. And so he did. He got, you know, six to eight more pounds of a burger that or burger material that we're going to end up having to grind here soon enough. But at the same yeah. time, I think he was happy with that result. I'm over there also asking. I was like, hey, I, can I take your femurs? Can I take your shoulder blades? And he's like, what are you doing with that? And like, I'm, I'm making stock. Like, I want to make yeah. stock for different stuff now you know, our world house is to be in the kitchen, to use these items, to have them on hand at all times. They're, they're not so much in that realm of where they're going to experiment out or even to try to do something a little finer, but at the same time, there's going to come a time where they need stock and they're going to go have to get beef stock, or they're going to have to yeah. go get chicken stock. That's more money out of pocket to have something that you could have had right then and there. So at a, at a premium, right, like right. A premium product. So we're working on them. They're, they're doing good. They've come a long ways from where I started hunting and been able to share my knowledge with them. But yeah, they're, they're still kind of, we're, we're getting some light bulbs to go off with that crew. Hey, and that's, uh, that's what it's all about. You know, I've, I've noticed myself a huge uh, shift in the, in the venison butch or not just venison game butchery period uh, concept as a whole. You know, I remember as a kid talking to other hunters and whatnot and, uh, you, you take your deer to the butcher, it'd be sausage, maybe some jerky ground and some steaks, right? Well, now 
I see that the culture of uh, utilizing appropriate cuts for appropriate meals is has really, really taken uh, the world by or the hunting world, outdoor world uh, by storm. Meaning, I'm seeing more people instead of just throwing the shanks in a grinder. We talked about shanks last time. We did, but we did. instead of, of people throwing the shanks straight into the grinder, I'm seeing more osobucos. Instead of just seeing that outside round being jerky, I'm seeing nice, beautiful pot rosa. It's the neck. Instead of the neck being in the grinder, I'm seeing it become whatever, right? Like a million, you know, it's not just uh, game meat has not just been uh, sausages and ground meat anymore. The the game, people are starting to catch on. Wow, this is, they're, they're taking it with more care, right? They, they care more. They want, they want to be better. I think you're doing uh, more service to your animal to like give it, to treat it the best way possible. And I think sportsmen are genuinely like, there's a, there's been this shift over the last couple of years to, to pick up the, pick up the level here. Yeah. And uh, I'm just, I'm stoked. I I love seeing guys, the average Joe uh, Frenching their venison racks, you know, making, you know, those beautiful racks instead of just taking the back strap off and slicing it into thin medallions and cooking the piss out of it. You know, now they're taking these nice big loins with the bone Frenched in and, you know, this is just the average Joe throwing it on the whatever the trip, whether they throw it on the trigger or whatnot. Man, that makes me happy seeing people put a little bit more effort in uh, in their game, just because it shows that you genuinely care more about the whole process of being uh, a sportsman. I, I believe that's my outlook, anyways. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Cheers to that. That's a good setup. Um. Tonight, we are going to then explore more about using our game. And yep. specifically, we're going to be looking at ragus and stuffed pasta. And I know as we were getting leading up to this, you got really excited because you this this seems to be right up your alley with the pasta. Oh, yeah. Um, I and again, it's one of those things like there's in the culinary world, there are so many rabbit trails. And man, I am I got my nose to the ground right now when it comes to some pastas, specifically definitely some stuffed pasta. Oh yeah. Before man. we before we go down that rabbit trail, I want to get into something that guys use all the time, and that is going to be a meat sauce. Like we're gonna go super basic, and yeah. I want to play a game with you, Shane, because I think this would be a fun game. And okay. I thought of this game called, and I just made up the game and I thought it sounded fun to me and it's <laughs> good, better, best. And the, the rules of this game is I'm going to describe a good dish. And when I say good, I'm going to mean that somebody makes this, their kids and wife are going to eat this and they're going to be happy with the result. It'll, it'll be like um, your normal Tuesday where it was like, Hmm. This was good, but then you moved on with the rest of your Tuesday. It's not memorable, but it was yeah. really good enough to eat. And okay. so that's where I'm putting under the microscope tonight is going to be our spaghetti meat sauce. So okay. here's my description of good. Let me, okay. let me find where I was at. All right, there we go. Yeah, this is kind of like the king of the Midwest here. Uh, guys take a pound of ground. They cook it. They add tomato sauce into the pot. They, sm- they roam it around a little bit, sc- stir it around, scoop it on some cooked pu- some cooked spaghetti, and serve it. It's good. Nice. Period. It's good. 
Now, if it's special night, special night, they pulled out of the freezer the pre-buttered garlic bread, and they're going to throw that in the oven. (laughs) I tell you, that's a special (laughs) Wednesday before they've got to go to practice, to youth group, to wherever they're going. That's a spaghetti night. That's a good spaghetti night. Nice. Here's our challenge. And I threw some ideas out there, and I wanted to run them by you, and I, I want to hear what your ideas are, too. Where do we take this now, this Tuesday night spaghetti? Where can we go from good to better without adding a ton of stuff? Now, I want you to just kind of stay inside the realm of the uh, what you got with you as far as that same good recipe. But how can we turn that notch up using what you have right there? How can you turn that up to make it a better Tuesday spaghetti. The better. So this isn't the best part. This is just the better part. Correct. This is just the better part. We ain't we ain't to the best part yet. Okay. All right. So here we have an absolute classic, right? Some it's simple. And sometimes simple can be the hardest thing. And what I would say is you look at the three main components of this dish. And you're like, okay, so we have the the meat itself, right? That's a main component. You have the tomato sauce, another main component. And then you have the pasta itself. In this case, let's assume it's spaghetti, right? So those are your three main ingredients. And to make it better, just better, I'd say we need to improve one of those three key ingredients significantly, right? So... You're saying we have the, you know, we have the garlic toast. Oh, yeah, we have garlic. Oh, yeah, we got garlic toast. (laughs) We got the garlic toast. Let's not forget that. Out of the freezer garlic toast. (laughs) Right, okay. So right off the bat, I would say to make anything better with pasta, we should probably take a closer look at the sauce itself. The sauce is usually... can, can be the the make or break of it. And for me personally, like I, I go to, I'll go to some of these restaurants that claim they have, they make the best bolognese or best ragouts or best even calzones or pizza sauces. And I go there and man, it can, it, it could be a game, game over in split second. I'm not even a picky eater, but there's one thing is just a bad sauce or a, a sauce lacking body or depth or real good flavor can just be, destructive to me. So what I would say is get your sauce right. Okay. We're just going to make it better. We're not going to change the world with anything here, but let's do this. Let's assume you got, uh, the Prego, or I don't know what the go-to can is at tomato sauce, pop in the cap and you're pouring it in. Let's just make a simple pasta sauce here. We get some, uh, whole canned tomatoes, preferably San Marzano, a really nice variety. They're already peeled canned. We crack that can open. We put it into a bowl. We take our hands and we just crush them up by hands. Not to the point where it's a smooth puree. There's little, a little bit of texture with the tomato, a little bit of chunkiness to it just to give it some, you know, when you hit that tomato, it's, you know, like a little burst of joy. You know, you get that. Yeah. So I start with the tomato, if, especially if you're going tomato-based sauces. Get a, just, it's simple. This levels up your game quite a bit. Instead of buying the already pre-tinned, you're making a tomato sauce from scratch, but it's not that hard. So you get the whole tomatoes crushing by hand. Gotcha. You're gonna take Quick a little garlic. Out. What about the crushed yeah. tomatoes? Even then, 
crushed tomatoes is a step up okay. is a step up from the jar. So yeah, sure. But you. That was just my it, idea. Cause you were talking already it, squeezing them down. Yeah. You see the, the reason why I like the whole one is number one, cause it feels good. Popping. <laughs> You're popping someone's head said, off. Yeah, ah, yeah. You know? After, yeah, after know. boxing practice, you want something yeah. cold, you know, get your knuckles yeah. in. Yeah. You want to yeah, cool down those fists, right. You know, it's <laughs> some cold tomato <laughs> juice. So, um, uh, but no, I, I like the, the whole tomatoes because you got to choose your, you got to crush it down to like a, a consistency that you like. Crushed tomatoes is too consistent. I like the fact that you can make it a little bit more coarse. I like that. I like that there's a little bit, you know, like you get a bite of tomato in that tomato sauce. I, I really enjoy that. Um, so that's why I go whole tomato. Okay. That's why I go whole tomato. So you can choose, you can break, you can break it down with your hands to give yourself a little bit more texture variants rather than just a blended tomato and then when i I also find that when they're blended like crushed they're waterier like there's more water content because it breaks the cell wall structure of those tomatoes down so you have to reduce your sauce a little bit more it's not as like i don't know uh i i like the tighter meat sauce i don't like it when there's if you if you ever notice when you put your meat sauce in a bowl and then there's like on the edge there's some water like it's like water that escapes onto the around the base of your sauce, like literal water. Yeah. I hate that. That's my that's my biggest pet peeve. And usually that's because your sauce hasn't been reduced or incorporated enough to let that moisture evaporate. Um, but you'll get that easier with a crushed tomato versus a uh, um, whole tomato that's been crushed by hand. Does that make gotcha. sense? That makes perfect sense. Okay. So what I would do is I would go that route. And then, of course, add your basic, basic, basic profile of flavors of garlic. You can, or you don't even have to, add onion, but definitely garlic, uh, fresh garlic. And what again here, I don't do it to a complete mince. I like to do it a rough chop. So I slice them and then just chop them a little bit, just so that they're, you know, when you get that garlic, it, it, you know, it's there. You know, I don't like hidden flavors like, when when I when I go somewhere and they ask me, did you taste? Did you pick up the name it cinnamon? And I go, no. Well, you know, I like to know if it's supposed to be in there. And so I, I do myself like a little bit of extra garlic. And when it's overly minced, I find it's a little bit more subtle. I like the idea of coming across the garlic and being reminded that it's there. Like ah, you know, I like that. And then olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, is a really good way. So what you do is you heat up your olive oil, no measurement. Just mm-hmm. fill fill the bottom of that pan. Good couple glugs, blub blub blub, and toast that garlic. If you're using onion, make sure that onion is actually a little bit more finely diced. You don't want bigger pieces of onion than tomato in your tomato sauce. So that one, I would make sure that you would you would um, chop nice and fine, uh, or just throw it in a blender and then make it like a almost like an onion paste. Um, and this is just for building flavors. I do it. You don't have to do it. This is just adds a little bit more depth to that that uh, tomato sauce, and then uh, you blend it up. But then you uh, saute it on medium high heat. You don't want to fry it, especially with that much oil. You just want it to sweat out, be super aromatic. Then you'll go ahead add some of your uh, dried um, spices and herbs. So I go with oregano, chili flakes, and you could use um, dried basil at this point. But instead of dry, I would suggest going fresh, a couple nice big fresh um, sprigs or leaves of 
basil in there as well. Big, big, and don't buy the tomatoes that have basil already in the, in the can or in the container. That's just, it doesn't feel right to me. So fresh, <laughs> fresh, just go fresh. And, um, and as well, if you have a, a tomato vine, this is a big secret, the tomato vine, throw a tomato vine in there just a nice piece of like whatever, you know, if you, even if you have like cherry tomatoes that come in on the vine, or if you have tomatoes growing in your house, just grab a piece of vine and throw it in there. Um, a, a chef named Heston Blumenthal originally, he's out, uh, owns a restaurant in the UK called the fat duck, which was one of the best restaurants in the world for many years. Heston was a pioneer in molecular gastronomy. He always made a good point uh, with the, the vine theory. And he's like, when you go into a tomato greenhouse, the smell of tomato comes like that rich tomato smell comes from the vine. You don't walk up. It's not actually when you smell comparison and you put the tomato to your nose and you put the vine to your nose, what you're smelling is the vine, not the tomato. Whoa. Here. So he always said, put the, put a piece of vine in tomato based projects or sauces or whatever. And I notice it. I do notice it. I do notice that. I think I notice it in the stewing process more than I do maybe in the flavor, okay. but I don't know the, the aromas of cooking and the tomato, like that's part of it. Right. So I, the smell and aromas is all part of your palate. So uh, I think it's more of an aroma additive than a palate additive, but it's a, it's a nice one. It gives it a nice herbal tomatoey freshness about it. So that's it really. And then let it stew and let it cook out for a little bit. Let it, cook out for at least 30 minutes you'll read a lot of marinara or tomato sauces like bring it to boil and turn it off let it stew out let the tomato break down and build flavor with the olive oil and the chili flakes and the basil and the tomato vine and all those things let it let it have its time to do its thing mm -hmm. and if you can let it rest overnight like let it sit overnight chill overnight as you let the especially tomato based tomato based products and uh curries and stuff things, things that have these these um spices and stuff added to them they always like chili chili always tastes better better than exactly day, right i like it three or things. four days after my wife it makes yeah, her yeah, gag yeah. but i'm like no no let that thing go yeah, it's good push, in the fridge let it ferment a little bit baby. yeah let's go <laughs> <laughs> no uh, i do think that with the tomato sauce make it a day ahead and make a bunch of it at a time like just make a whack load of tomato sauce freeze it up it holds well and then you always have it on hand and you just never have to buy that charred stuff ever again so leveling up your spaghetti uh and meat sauce or your tomato sauce we're starting with the sauce we're making it better we're already we already got a better dish here good. guaranteed good um my big thing that i have found at least you know again i, I was stuck with the can for a while see now i got a project to go with here i got to go get a whole bunch of the san mar is it san marzano tomatoes san marzano yes that's what i got to go yes. get yes. um but big thing that I found, and this was actually an article and a, um, a whole idea posted, Danielle Pruitt did it, um, where she actually took all of her ground that she was using. And I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to microwave your stuff. You don't want to uh, uh, just throw it in the pan frozen. Like that's not going to help out your, your meat at all. Um, let it, you know, you got to think about it, have a couple pounds in your refrigerator for the week. Like, that's what I've started to do on Sunday is I pull out three tubes and I just leave them in there, whether I yeah. use them or not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, like I have 
the potential to use them. And, you know, then I'll have to use them at the end of the week, but at the same time they're yeah. there and I got them. Now they're pre-thawed out, opened them up and she actually drained them out onto paper towel. So she laid them out all out, spread them out, you know, break it up. And it just drains all that purge off, hits it with her first round of salt. And so you let it come to room temperature, draining all that liquid off. So when you get to a hot pan, you're already beginning to brown. You're not yeah. starting to steam. Boiling. And that was a yeah. big stepping point from me being able just to brown things, you know, not crowding it, using a big pan, but being able to dry things out. I didn't realize that I was steaming half of my stuff before I even started to caramelize. And that's, yeah. you know, you just got this, you know, gray, soft texture. Now you're building a crust. So when you put that on there, and you start flipping the sections over. Oh man, you get that color on there and yeah. you're building that fond in the pan. And so this is where my thought was where what I'm doing now with a normal Tuesday meal is I'm treating that meat the way that it should be treated. I'm caramelizing it to maximize flavor, pull that out. Then I'm getting into where now I'm adding the, um, the onion in there, a little bit of salt for that onion. And then deglazing that, whether it be with a little bit of liquor, whether it be with a touch of even water or stock, deglaze that pan and now incorporate now our pre-made sauce here. We've gone well above, you yep. know, Prego or Ragu, which, hey, you know what? Great on them for making a, a product that 80% of Americans or Canadians will love or will at least <laughs> with doer, endure. But we're taking this to the next level. And I think just with a combination where you've got this hand squished tomato that you've created this sauce, bubbled it up, mixed with treating the meat right, man, we're on we're on cloud nine right now. Oof. We're on we're on a serious trajectory to success, <laughs> my friend. We're on a serious trajectory right now. But uh touching on that, uh that would be my next um my next big thing is is browning that meat. We all know, I think most of us and most of the listeners understand at this point what, how much caramelization means to building flavor. And if you don't, the, the process of caramelization, uh, for anyone that isn't know, uh, doesn't know fully, is called the Maillard reaction. It's kind of spelt similarly to Mallard <laughs> with an I in there somewhere, Maillard reaction. And this is just simply the reduction of amino acids and sugars from the proteins in whatever. It could be bread, meat, vegetables, whatever. Everything has amino acids and everything concentrates under heat as long as moisture has been removed as the neutralizing barrier. So usually heat conducting over uh, amino, uh, uh, protein source or anything that has these amino acids will effectively caramelize. And... Um, when you do it to building sauces, this is like the fundamental to, to building flavors in your sauce. Those bits of caramelization and that fond at the bottom of the pan uh, is what adds the depth and body to good sauces and anything. So that is my number two. That would be like a very strong number two on to making this better. So like where you went with that. Good, good. Yeah, I think we've smashed better. So we've got our good, you know, you can make it in about 10 minutes and it feels like, yeah, you made it in 10 minutes, but at least somebody's choking it down and going to eat it. But now yeah. we've gone to making it better. So now we've got depth of flavor 
and we actually have meat we're going to enjoy. We're going to have uh, texture that we're going to enjoy, and we're not going to have hidden flavors from over mincing our you know dry herbs and stuff. But we've let them simmer down into this stew or into the, the sauce. We've got a product that hey, we're we're turning some eyes up on this. We're now going to jump into the best, and I want. As a chef, as a as a former chef, I want to know what you're gonna do to take spaghetti to the stratosphere. What are we doing? How about we make our spaghetti, Nick? How about we do that? How does that sound? That sounds. Uh, I'm ready to get my hands into some uh, some dough. Let's do this. Let's start doing it. Uh, no, it all all. So truthfully, a lot of uh, you can. There's a lot of great uh, brands of spaghetti out there now assume that most people use generic brands or whatnot of spaghetti just a simple upgrade that would level that like take this to another level it's just buying a more you know splurge out a bit instead of spending i don't know what a pack of spaghetti for like a one pound box would cost down there like two dollars and fifty cents three three dollars i don't know inflation these days probably ten dollars who knows oh exactly (laughs) and that's why we're here we're done being at the store (laughs) that's right we're not part of that team (laughs) um no so let's say that uh you just buying generic brands or something like that um just a simple upgrade in your brand would elevate this dish a lot you know a lot of this comes down to the um, extruding process, a lot of these more premium brands out there, uh, like even Bar- Barilla is how it would be spelt. Barilla, I don't know if they use silent letters or Barilla or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but it's spelt Barilla is a great store-bought brand that I would say as far as like most available brand out there that if you wanted like a better pasta without looking too hard or going to the Italian store to find some like uh, known as special whatever past the noodle or whatever whatever um barilla would be a huge level up in, in just quality of dish just the way they the ingredients they use the type of flour it's just a clearly better product it's that's got a better texture and for me i'm a huge huge guy on the texture of noodle and this is we'll get more into this on the stuffing part because that's where you notice it especially but um if you wanted to you can make your own pasta like this here, but I throw this with, I say this with caution because you can make this from better to worse uh, your first couple of times by going through the process of having uh, how to make pasta and teaching yourself how to do this thing. So yes, the first couple of times might not turn out ideal for you, right? This is, is pasta making is a, uh, is a process of feel and touch and sen- very sensory based so um and and something like uh these something like a noodle like a like a spaghetti or a tegotelli or paparadelle or uh a fettuccine or linguine all these ones here they're a little bit more you got you got to do it a few more times to find out what you like and how you know what works in your climate because the, the the climate is a very big like how humid or dry your your geography is compared to mine is totally different so you might need to add more water or egg to your dough to get a result that you like more so it's just going to be one of those things that it might not turn out for you the best way the first time but do it again 
and then do it again and then do it again and then do it again <laughs> and then guaranteed you'll absolutely find like for me i know exactly what i need to do to make it perfect and um yeah that's what i would do so with that you most people let's say it's not easy to just go ahead and make your own um uh pass the dough right off the bat well, a lot of people don't have attachments that cut it uh i would say start if you don't have that stuff if you don't have like a I don't know if you ever seen those uh, pasta roller boxes, right? They're, uh, they're like a little guitar box. They look like yeah. they have little strings strung through it. And then you roll your pasta over it and it cuts it out into spaghetti or fettuccine noodles and whatnot. Yeah. I would, I would, you know, if you really wanted to like, if this was something that you really wanted to do and like, you're like, Hey, we really want to be, we want to make the best pasta out there. I'd say invest in that and, and get, get to know uh, how to do uh, pasta from scratch. But that to me is like, a, maybe it's just the placebo of I made my own pasta that made it so much better. Yeah. You've got the, uh, the sweat equity, if you will. You, you got know? the sweat equity. <laughs> That's got to count for something. It does. It does. <laughs> it's got it. It's got it. So I would say that. And, uh, I, and I just, again, I just want to throw the caution out there that it might not actually be better this one time, but uh, I encourage repetition to get to that uh, that money spot that you like that works best for you. Of course, if if uh, there's lots of great information out there, there's chefs like local to your area that might have like specific recipes that just you try it and uh, it's perfect, right? And then uh, at the very least, go find uh, like some some local. Uh, Italian grandmother that's selling it in the Italian shop in your in your area or so, something like that, and that will elevate your dish quite a bit. There is a difference in the in the pasta. Yeah, yeah. Itself. I've got a brother in law who has gone full end into making pastas, and he's my guy. So I'm like, as far as like, <laughs> I'm gonna watch and I'm gonna you know see what he's doing, and I'm definitely go- taking his lead. Uh, in the the next upcoming like little fun project that I'm put that I yeah. want to do, um, but I, so he's he's bringing the the pasta dough, whereas I'm worried about the filling when we get into uh-huh. making our stuff pasta. But at the same time, like he has, he's he's one of those guys. He's super particular. He he loves wine and he can talk to you all about wine. And so I take I take everything that he tells me with like a grain of salt because I know again he's got so much going on when he's when he's talking about certain stuff. But then when it gets into like the pasta, it's like, all right, cool, man. I, I see what you're doing. We'll talk about nitty gritties later. Let's get this stuff rolled out. Let's get to work. Let's do it. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's awesome to have a guy like that on your team. I'll tell you that. Exactly. And he's a big eater too. And, and so like, it's fun to be able to like make something from the pasta that he's making and then be like, what do you, what do you think of that? Like, how yeah. does that pair well with your pasta or be yeah. his, we've gone back and forth uh, even on, uh, wine selection for wild game. And so this is oh, like yeah. his new little challenge. Cause I'm like, what do you, what goes well with this? You know, we will, yeah. ha- we'll be halfway through the dinner and I'm like, all right, switch it up. What's our, what's our pairing? What do we got to be having with this? And you know, then he starts going off on his tangents, but it's fun to see his, <laughs> it's fun to see his gears shift and think about it. Yeah. Cause it is, it's completely unique. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, totally. That's like me with food on the food spectrum just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in 
It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review, uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Huntivore, or Instagram, at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at Huntivore at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company, who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all love. Now, back to the show. Good deal. So yeah, we've now we've kind of like we've engaged people here in the stuffed pastas. Um, yeah, we, we talked a little bit. You know, you're, we're making our pastas. We're getting to the point now where okay, we can we can whip up some dough. We're ready ready to sheet it out. Uh, depending on our ratios of egg, water, flour, that's pretty much the three things that are in it, and a little bit of oil. Am I right? That's what's in our in our dough. Depends who you, it depends, you know, it depends. So actually, <laughs> it depends. And sweat equity. <laughs> well, okay. So I'll put this, I'll put this out there. Uh, I make various like multiple types of doughs depending on the type of pasta that I'm doing. So I don't have like one pasta dough that does uh pappardelle and ravioli and tortellini, but I generally have one type of pasta dough that uh, goes with my stuffing, like my filling pastas. So this one, the difference is, uh, let's say like, um, if I'm just making cannelloni. Okay. So let's do this because I'm going to talk, we're going to talk cannellonis today. This is great stuff. Pasta. Yeah. So if I'm making a cannelloni style, uh, a pasta, I typically don't add whole egg to that one. I just use egg yolks and I don't even add, um, I do, myself don't, I don't, I've never, I've never got a ton of value of adding uh, olive oil into the pasta dough. I've never, I've never seen a better result. Uh, so I'm usually just egg and flour. Now the question comes down to how much whole, whole egg versus how much egg yolk and, uh, water that I use to usually spritz my hands as I'm kneading. So it, it is a, it is an ingredient, but at complete discretion, not at proportion. So if I'm using my, the two main types of pasta that I'll make the two doughs, one is for sheet pasta and sheet pastas would uh, qualify under lasagna sheets, uh, cannelloni, pappardelle tagliatelle, uh, even those noodles, the sheets that I'll turn into noodles. And those ones will just be um, pure egg yolk. I'll just use lots of egg yolk, no whole egg. And then the other one that I'll use is a filling pasta, stuffing pasta for tortellini, ravioli, raviolos, agnolotti, list goes on. And in this one, I will use uh, whole eggs and the ratio is kind of more so uh, like maybe again, this is kind of 
that's kind of very discretionary, but generally two whole eggs to about 250 grams or one cup of flour. Okay. And the reason why I use the whole eggs is because I find that the dough adheres better for filling. It doesn't less burst, less breaking the uh, it, breakage and whatnot with the fillings. And it gives you more flexibility uh, when you're shaping pastas. There's more forgiveness. And I like just a little bit more toothiness on the filling pastas than I do with like sheet noodles, like the sheet noodles, like pasta. I like, I almost like it myself. Like I almost like those pastas, like uh, pappardelle and whatever noodle pastas and kind of uh, lasagna. I almost like the noodle overcooked as of the typical al dente type theory. I, I like it when it's like a completely tender noodle, buttery, almost just kind of like slippery noodle. I like yeah. Those Especially the noodles, lasagna, right? I could see how that would definitely because you're you've only got a fork at that point. You don't need a knife. You should yeah 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 just knife. just crush that baby. You know, just crush right through with the fork. Don't want a knife. Don't want a steak knife to cut through my freaking <laughs> <laughs> lasagna. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> so uh, so that does that make sense? Yeah. I, so I the use... the the whites added. So the whole egg at this point is going to give more of a robustness that these stuffed pastas can handle versus the sheet stuff that you know what it can be a little bit more pliable it can be more soft by taking that the whites out you're going to get that yes yes uh, exactly and i'm still using a, a large majority egg yolk to in that one just adding a couple whole eggs there again just just to give it uh mainly mainly a little bit more texture and uh and forgiveness with you know, when you're shaping and folding like a little bit more structure to the dough. And that's the theory there. Turn off. Like yeah. that's a bad time. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody likes that. Yeah. No uh, second date then, after bad pasta. Yeah, no second date. You should <laughs> say adios. Yeah. Yeah. That number got deleted right after she left. Yeah. Kind of thing. Right. So she, um, so yeah, that's, that would be as a cannelloni, um, you're just kind of rolling out the sheet, especially if you have a pasta roller, you're running it through the, sh um, the, the sheeter that comes out, you're cutting a square and you're folding the square. Whereas ravioli, you're typically folding another sheet over. So you got to make sure that they're, they come out similar in in thickness and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, there's just a little bit more complexity with the ravioli, but I don't think either are too difficult. Uh, I just think they seem intimidating, but they're really not. Like it, it's there's a there's a process uh, that if you follow, I think it yields a pretty good result either way. Good deal. Good deal. Um, I'm gonna pose what I have going on. This is my idea. I've got a whole white tail liver. I got okay. it fresh this year pulled it out of the deer, it cooled it down, got it in, in a, a seal bag, got it into the freezer. So I, I, I did it as quick as I could, as fast as I could. So, and we're still within that window of like, it, it hasn't gotten freezer burnt. You know, I, I don't expect it. yep. it's going to taste fresh. Um, it's only been in there for a month now. Um, okay. But I want to do a, something with the liver. I want like a ravioli or now learning about cannelloni, like, to do 
where I've got the intensity of liver, but at the same time in the mellowness of like a stuffed pasta. So a white tail liver pate is what I thought in my head. And then to serve that inside of either a ravioli or now a cannelloni with like a mushroom cream sauce. Does this seem like something that are we on the right track with this? Or are you going to say, you know, hold the horses a little bit on the filling here? No, no, I might have to beat you to it just because I love it. <laughs> I might have to stake your shine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna absolutely run with it. I came up with this great idea. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I'm no, sick of no. the Instagram police on you right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, buddy. yeah, no way, man. I'm definitely taking this one. No, just kidding. Uh, to take, uh, I've never done it with venison here, um, but to take a little bit uh, of of this uh to run with this i have done something similar with uh rabbit livers actually and um we would take the the rabbit liver and this, I, so you use the word pate a pate would mean that you know you're making like that's more of the shape uh and okay the it, like a pate is generally like cooked in a terrine mold it's a shape. It's a pate, you know, like oh, okay, it's not gotcha. necessarily like the, I was thinking of the paste, the mix basically. itself. Yeah. The, the paste itself, right. The emulsification, right. Like typically the pate is like the terrine itself. Like, oh, okay. That's kind of the identity it would be. But prior to baking the pate, like you would typically do, you put, you make, you know, you, whip up your livers you blend it in with uh, cognac or whatever you do typically chicken and um add some eggs and cream and whatnot and then you put it in the tree mold and you bake it you skip the baking part right and this is what i like we did this with the rabbit livers and we would do it with um uh some leeks we would saute up some leeks saute up those those livers in tons of uh tons of uh, butter, lots of butter, of course. And uh, you would, you would saute them up, wrap, caramelize them, add your leeks, caramelize them. And then I believe we used uh, black, black trumpet mushrooms as well. And then uh, deglaze that pan. I think it was uh, sherry. We use sherry and then you're making a mousse. So you blend it, you blend that, um, that those livers up into a nice puree, like a, pate almost Mm -hmm. style like a mousse and you mix it in with some eggs and cream and the reason why that you'll want to do this you'll want to do this still in this same thing uh is the the eggs will help stabilize the emulsification so when it goes through heat it doesn't melt right you if you uh don't add the eggs and such uh in your emulsification basically the blend of your pate we'll go with we'll just call it pate gotcha or or Moose, right? Uh, it will just run out, and it won't hold up, especially in the cannelloni application. It would just like melt out run of the cannelloni because the ends are open. Yeah. So, I'm not sure I would even go this route with the um, cannelloni application, just because of the open ends. And you know, if you're doing it with another, like if you're gonna coat the tops with bechamel. And the moisture content from the bechamel or whatever sauce you're going to use uh, gets in with it. It would just kind of liquid up, liquid dissipate the pate. Yeah. So I'd only use this as a filling in 
like a, a closed in filling in uh like with the rabbit what we did back in the day we did it in a tortellini and so i would do it in a tortellini or small raviolis i wouldn't do like your big bigs. monster yeah i wouldn't do that it's, that's a that's a rich bite my friend of liver <laughs> a lot of liver right there a so yeah you're thinking liver, which is fine silver dollar style yeah yeah exactly maybe a little bit bigger right like the whole circle itself could be like two inches or gotcha yeah like you know like a 3.5 mandarin orange oh there you go i was gonna say 3.5 centimeters if we're gonna if we're gonna go there for you <laughs> i don't know centimeters <laughs> the look it, on your face says man <laughs> <laughs> it's not that i don't i don't think it's is it 3.5 i don't even know oh i it, figured up there you guys were all metric <laughs> no 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 I, I don't even know i don't even know what we are man we we're 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 so lost up here. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So maybe just be, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, back on train. So, we're at Mandarin orange style or size style of a ravioli. Size of a ravioli. Exactly. Not a large raviolo. And, um, and yeah, so the most, most important thing, I love what, I love where you're going with this. So I would do the same process again, you know, butter, brown those that liver up, cut it up into bite-sized bits right brown it up evenly deglaze like onion garlic herbs thyme sage little bits of it but fresh you know mm-hmm. you will get that nice earthiness to it and then i would deglaze it there with yeah something delicious like cognac would be good in this or like a brandy of sorts even uh even yeah whiskey like a like a just even some jd just right in there you know <laughs> Um, would be really good. Like whiskey and venison has been a, a great combination many other times. So it'd be good in this, in this one specifically too. And, uh, deglaze that up, just get lots of aromatics in there, garlic, shallots or onions, and herbs, deglaze it with that, get that fond off and then blend it. And you could then either, uh, blend it in with a couple egg yolks per I would say like two egg yolks per pound kind of thing, just enough to stabilize. And then you can whip cream, whip it into stiff peaks and just fold it in after into the mousse. You can do that, or you could just mix some cream in it. If you whip it into stiff peaks and then fold it into the mousse, it'll just be a little bit more airy Gotcha. versus it being just a little bit more dense when you pipe it out or spoon it into your filling. Uh, I've been doing practice with that, with my waffles, actually, granted, this is, this is a total side channel. I started making like a meringue, like a stiff meringue and then whipping, finishing out into my waffles and man, they stand up like literally two inches tall. (laughs) It's the best secret out there for if you're making waffles is, you know, add your meringue. Um, but we were just talking about making this up. So now I've already got the, I've already got the liver pureed with the cream and egg now i've cleaned off the the pan or was that already in with the livers oh yeah yeah you got to clean off the pan with the livers as you're putting it into okay. the blender so, so the pan, leek and the butter the, the the whiskey and all that that all went in together that's one yeah. element with the eggs or excuse yeah with the the yolks in there now this is the second ad that we're doing with being the meringue that folds into it exactly so i i would probably just add the cream in i'm i'm picturing it right now okay and i'm just 
we're just chatting about yeah. this. This isn't this isn't bona fide. But <laughs> for me, uh, I would rather probably have like more of that uh, that creamy uh, pate like texture biting through the ravioli like more of like a chocolate truffle i think you know when yes. it's like buttery straight through so to get that uh you'd be better off just adding the cream into the blender with okay. the livers if you did it the other way it would come out a little spongy like airy you know and it would be almost kind of like marshmallowy texture rather mm -hmm. than smooth butter right and i think it could work but it'd be just like more uh yeah like a marshmallow like it'd be they just be a little bit more spongy in texture which would, could be a little bit weird with the ravioli yeah so i would say to do blend the cream with your mix first okay i like that yeah, just do that if you were to ever like experiment side by side yeah go ahead try them both but i think that and it just needs to be a little bit like so that you shouldn't blend it till it's like a watery liver mixture that's just so it's beautifully blended into a smooth paste it's it shouldn't be like pate soup uh liver soup right it should just be like enough cream to fully emulsify it into a smooth paste and then you can scrape it through a um a strainer afterwards like oh, a mesh strainer. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Just to get it nice and smooth. That's what I would do. And then definitely cool it down in a piping bag. Or uh, I guess if you don't have that, <laughs> ideally you have a piping bag. So that way you're just piping up yeah. you, when it's, when it's ready to go, you're going to go, zip lock, snip the corner. That, that works. Yeah. You got it. That's great. Yeah. Works great. Yeah. That's what I generally do when not, uh, I don't have access to a pastry bag. Gotcha. My mom does That's have the pastry tips, but I guarantee if I ever said what was being used or what was going through them, oh. she would ixnay those right away. She'd be like, nope, can't use them. You just, <laughs> just got to say meringue. Exactly. That's <laughs> what I did. Say meringue. Right. Right. <laughs> it's just a moose, mom. <laughs> <laughs> moose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What kind? Who knows? Um, yeah. So that's what I would do. I love the idea, man. I, I love the uh that very thought. Uh, I I want to see you do it, and then I will do it after, and I'll credit you for the idea for sure. Awesome. I'll handle the better. You take care of the best. How about that? <laughs> I like it. All right. So we've got now our filling. We've okay. we're kind of fast and forwarding with our with our sheeting process. Um, I'm piping it out just a dollop in there. I need to leave space in order to pinch the two the uh the two sheets together correct am i really adding into on you know as i'm working those two sheets together do i really want to push those uh press them tight or is it uh more by by feel gently sealing those up water or egg yolk or what am i doing so yeah like okay so i would always invest in like you you just suggest like hey if you guys wanted to ever be like consistent ravioli makers you're like you're gonna do this more often now which i think if you try it once it's one of those things that you definitely will do again oh, yeah. then get yourself number one you can there's like uh they look like ice cube trays basically of like ravioli molds and you sheet your pasta over the ravioli mold and it sits in the little crevices like in the shape itself and then you put your filling in the mold that has 
that's on top of the dough now. And then you roll a sheet over it and then you take a rolling pin, you roll it out and it like cuts, boop, you turn it over, you pop. That's how they do it even in most restaurants. So you nice. can do qu- quantities like quicker, right? Yeah. And um, so you roll your rolling pin over and it cuts out all the shapes and you flip it out over onto a baking tray. Boom, there you go. You got your 36 raviolis in 10 seconds. But if you're just doing this once, like I'm just going to try this out type thing. One thing, like the reason why we chose to do tortellini when we did it with the ravioli, uh, when we did the rabbit mm-hmm. uh, mix, is because you know it is a it is a punch of flavor, like it's liver, right? Yeah. So if you were to make like a ravioli, that's a big center of filling, and uh, yeah, you might want to like that's why you might want to do you know add something in there with like I said, we did mushrooms and leeks and stuff just to make it like super flavorful with other things, not just like, whoa, I just ate deer liver. You're right, right. 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 I just ate a deer liver. <laughs> you know what I mean? You want to <laughs> add some more to it, stretch that flavor out, to add flavor, build flavor with it, mix uh, and and create something delicious with it. No, instead of just like if it was to be on a menu, it'd be deer liver, like white tailed deer liver and leek filling or gotcha. mousse, you know, and you know what I mean? You wouldn't want to yeah. And wh- whatever, X, Y, Z, name it, right? Mushroom or whatever. Like there's a million things that it could work well with. Um, but I would definitely think of ways to do that because otherwise it is a big odd bite of liver pasta. If you're doing it the ravioli mold, we mm-hmm. chose to do it in the tortellinis because tortellinis are one singular like little bite, right? Yeah. So it's it's a lot easier to regulate, and not be totally overwhelmed with. So I would suggest. That's why I suggested the smaller size, like mandarin orange, mm-hmm. and then no more than really like a tablespoon of filling. Okay, so like you got your mandarin orange yep. size ring, um, and if you don't have ravioli shapers like a circle stamp, you could get ring cutters, or maybe your kids have like crafting toys that like resemble a circular mold or a lid uh from a uh, small cup like think, maybe you have a shooter glass like yeah a large shooter glass with a i was just gonna mouth. say shooter glass, a red bull can i got a ton of red bull cans lying around something take like the top that, off right boom, boom. exactly something like that but um i would definitely suggest getting yourself some ring mold like uh like cookie ring molds or something like that a little bit more that is a little bit more uh, the the hollow center of the ring mold is important, so you get that dome yeah. of that ravioli dome, right? If you have a like a bottle cap that you're using to stamp out when you're doing the top uh, press, like you're just gonna flatten out your filling, right? So, gotcha. um, yeah, you spoon always spoon your um, filling or pipe your filling into the dead center of that that ravioli. You roll out your your sheet, and then you make your cuts generally make your cuts uh some people like if you do it a lot you know the spacing you know you just know where to go with it but if you haven't done it too much you don't know the spacing so much cut out your molds first or your rings first gotcha so that way you you can visually see your spacing but don't try to move your sheet too much you got to 
keep it in that same trajectory as the top sheet's going to come over, right? Right. Does that make sense? Yes. We're mass producing. Yeah. This is like an assembly line. I need these to be in rights. Could I even just take it and like score? I'm not even cutting all the way through. I could just mark, lightly mark. Yeah. With yeah. Actually do that. Do that just to make sure. And that's more so because this is probably your, if it's your first time ever, you need to have that visual just to know where, how that's going to fold over and, and yeah. whatnot. And there's the people that do the the ravioli method where it's not really ravioli. It's just like folded pasta and then like pinched, right? Which you can do. You right. can do. Um, but if you're doing ravioli, you're putting a sheet over it and then you're pressing. Usually you can just take your finger, right? Whatever the diameter of that filling is, and then just press tightly down to the bottom. When you put that sheet over the top of that filling, you just to shape out and push the air out for, from the side of the fi- the filling, you're okay. pushing it out the sides, right? That's very important. Air pocket pockets will make it float. If okay. it's floating, there's always a side that's cooking and the other side's not. Not okay. Right? One side's out of the water, one side's not. so you're flipping. It's disaster. And if there's air, the great chance the ravioli bursts. Okay. Right. So when you're, I wish I had um, video here so you could all see it. But <laughs> imagine you got that that sheet over top. You're pressing it. it. This is why uh, typically in the restaurant, what we'll do is take the next size ring cutter or a ring cutter that fits perfectly over the mound of filling and press it down from there to just extrude air from the sides. Ah, I like it. So it had the size down to really just. Yeah. Sometimes you're just like compressing it down. Yeah. Compressing it down. And then you prep kind of pat it down with your fingers. And then uh, you take the original size ring mold the original size that you made your score marks with or whatever or whatever the large ring size you're doing you cut and then you can take a fork or your fingers and then press around i definitely use a little bit of egg yolk just a little bit though like a little bit even like wet your finger with some water even and mm-hmm. then just wipe it around the base layer of the dough just like a thin layer too much dough will make it slide when you're when you're crimping them together Okay. Uh, too much, too much liquid okay. will make the the dough slide, and they won't. They, they will stick eventually, but they'll slide all over the place, and then they'll adhere. But just a little bit to make it tacky. So when mm-hmm. you put that top layer down, and you pinch it around, it just adheres to that it bottom layer. It holds it layer. together. It holds it together. Once it's adhered together, it's going to stick pretty well. Like once you you're doing the cooking process, mm-hmm. you really don't need a whole lot. It's not like the, the egg yolk or is the glue that binds it together. It, the pinching together is going to adhere the the passes together the the sheets together so pinch together you could just press with your fingers uh or use a fork and just lightly press around you i'm sure you've all seen ravioli and how they have those little ribbons kind of on the rim of yep. the ravioli it's usually like some sort of tool that they have that designs it like that or you know the home classic is just the back side of your fork and lightly crimping it all the way around and then that's it. You got your ravioli there. Beautiful. 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 Now, your ravioli should be the same thinness on the base layer as the top layer. That's the only thing I'll add to it. And you should just, the key, the secret there is you should just be able to see your hand through that sheet. You shouldn't be able to see the, the fingerprints of your hand. That's too thin. Okay. You should just be able to see your fingers through it. Gotcha. What did, what did I hear that called? Wasn't it window painting? Is that, yeah. uh, or is that something different? That was more of the, uh, I think form. that's it. 
yes, that is gluten formation. That's right. Uh, but that, sure. Gotcha. Similar, so I can similar. see the silhouette of my hand through the. Yeah. Through yeah, the pasta. But you're not, yeah, you're not uh, identifying your criminal history with your <laughs> fingerprints through it. Should be gotcha. able to see that. Too thin. But uh, both times. So if you have a pasta roller, if you do have a pasta roller machine, it's yep. usually down to like that, uh, that number one setting, like the second last setting is okay. usually where I go to. So I don't know. It depends what machine you have. Sometimes uh, the setting might be nine might be the, or like the higher number might be the thinnest setting. Other gotcha. machines might be like the lowest number might be the thinnest setting. So like the second or third lowest setting should be about where you want, like the thinnest you want to go to. Awesome. Awesome. How do I cook them? They get boiled. How are you cooking them? So, well, number one, um, you could cook them fresh, right? Uh, which is which is good, which is definitely good. But ravioli is one of those things that um, you're not just going to make enough for dinner. That that's where part B is coming, where we're going to be freezing these puppies. I want yeah. I want to go back to go get them. Here's the thing. Here's here's the dream because we were talking about this mushroom cream sauce. Here's my better my here's my besting is after I figure out where those morel mushrooms are, those are going in with that ravioli. So that's the oh, yeah. that's the long play on this. And I need to keep some of them that I make here in the winter. I need some of those to those raviolis to be ready come springtime. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um so here let's talk about the freezing part. Let's go okay, to that. We'll, we'll start so, with freezing. Okay. So freezing the great thing about ravioli, like you, you might read it on like, how long does fresh ravioli last in freezer? And it says use within 30 days. Man, <laughs> I've literally made ravioli that's been in my freezer for a year and a half and tasted fine. But this is what I would do. I, or this is what I do. And this is what, whatever restaurant I ever worked at that made ravioli or filling pastas did is we would, uh, so you set out a baking sheet, you, you dust out your baking sheet with plenty of flour uh, or, or corn um, semolina or, or just regular all-purpose flour and make sure there's a good amount, like be generous because you can shake off excess flour. A lot of it gotcha. cooks off. When, this is right into the baking the sheet that we're doing that, right? Yeah. Throw it, like dust it up. Not just like a thin little layer like that you would dust your work surface with, like dust up your pants. It does not stick. Don't gotcha. oil, oil, and don't ever oil noodles. That's a, that's a thing that people do. Like after they cook it, like just noodles in general, you know, and then they oil it up. Mm-hmm. That's a, don't do that's that. A sin. <laughs> don't do that. Don't make greasy noodles. People. What do you guys think? No, I'm just kidding. The reason why is because uh, it's a slick noodle. It, uh, sauce can't adhere to like fatty noodles, like that have oily noodles to it. So, um, anyways, use flour to to prevent sticking on your bake tray uh, for ravioli filling pastas. Um, and when you cut them out, once you cut them out, space them nice and even on those baking trays, and then you're going to do your initial freeze. Freeze them till they're solid. So once they're, once they're solid uh, on that baking tray, take them off, put them in a strainer and just tap off the excess flour that it might it's have out. on it. Yeah. And then uh, transfer them into a nice big freezer du- duty uh, Ziploc bag. Done. 
and awesome. they'll hold in that Ziploc bag forever. But you have to freeze them on the tray first. Otherwise, they obviously will stick together. Stick together and then make, make a bag, make a big mess. Yeah. Big mess. Yeah. They stick together. They slightly rip when you pop them apart. And uh, once you pre freeze them on the tray, they don't, and you throw them in a bag together, they don't stick together. And uh, that's, I, I would, I would just say, like, you know, as you, as you're working and they're in room temperature for like the five minutes you're doing the transition, they slightly like might sweat a little bit. And so when you put them in the Ziploc bag and you throw them back in the freezer, like after 10 minutes, just kind of disrupt the bag a little bit, just to make sure they're not, yeah, just rough it up, just bash up, just tap it up a bit to make sure that they aren't, you know, that sweat layer that's been from room temperature for a few minutes, isn't sticking them together. And then that's it. You got your, just do a bunch like that, man. Make, just make like 10 meals worth of ravioli or gotcha. whatever. Well, it's go. like three pounds. I bet you it's three, four pounds, this liver. And I mean, I'm going to do, I'm going to do some uh, boudin, but at the same time, like those are the only mm. two recipes that I have like prepared. So I got a lot of ravioli or a lot of liver to make raviolis on this. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Like that's a, <laughs> so better be freaking good. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm gonna eat it, or my dog's gonna get fat. Which whichever way that's gonna go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. Your dog's gonna be eating good. Yeah, one of the two. Oh that's man! Funny. All right. So now I pull them out of the freezer. It's time. I, I want to make these up. Um, pull them out of the bag. Am I thawing them out, or am I putting in into boiling water, frozen? What am I? What am I doing with it? Yeah. I I always just go straight into the boiling water, frozen. Um, and then it's feel, it's really feel it depends on the size of your ravioli, all these things that, 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 that's the variable in this case, but you should be able to, you know, grab the center of your, like take one out, fish one out with your spoon or your ladle, whatever. And if you can easily press the center of your ravioli and it touches, you know, your fingers almost pinched together from the top to the center of the bottom, uh, your ravioli is cooked through. Like your pasta's cooked through. Uh, usually, once it's floating, if they're floating, I would add another three minutes on with pasta with uh, frozen pasta. Okay. So yeah, it's a little bit different than like with fresh pasta. Once it's floating, it thirty count to thirty, and it's good kind of thing. Yeah. It, it takes it a little bit more time. And for me, um, I like I said, I I like my noodles tender, my my pasta tender. I don't like tough pasta or like slightly undercooked. I don't even like al dente. I always found that a weird, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't like that, like any toothiness. I like a tender noodle, but I like structured noodle. That's why I add the egg whites, but I still cook it till where it's like, it's cooked through. Yeah. And I've made pasta for a lot of people in my life. Lots, thousands of people. There's one thing I've never had a complaint on my pasta. So I think I'm onto something here. I'm breaking a bit of the traditional rules, but it's not like I cook the daylights. It's not like I like make a overcooked, like boiled noodle. I just take it to where I know it's cooked through. Right. You want you a know softer I mean? ravioli because again, we're using the fork yeah. on this. We don't want to get the knife out. You don't want people to sit there and chew on it. You know, especially those yeah. edges where I've doubled up the the layer of it. I want I just want that to be cooked through. I want that to be totally. Soft. 
Totally, totally. You did. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, you want to make sure that that's not, um, that that's not like tough. And that's such a turnoff to me. Yeah. When it's yeah. like a big, thick edge. You're just chewing on tough dough. <laughs> tough, dry dough. Oh. Tough, dry dough. Yuck. Nope. No thanks. <laughs> well, hey, we have just taken, man, I feel like this has been, I am so encouraged by this. Like, we're, we're getting closer to Christmas. I know Christmas is going to be happening, but I like I already as soon as Christmas break is is here. And as soon as I am off work uh, for those two weeks, like I'll, I feel like I want to hit this ravioli project just like full tilt. So I'm going to be getting hold of my pasta guy. He's going to be making up my dough. And I'm telling him, I'm like, hey, you're going to have to have the whites in there because we want to give some structure to our pasta. This is going to yeah. this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, man, you're gonna love it. Shane, where can where can folks come and find more out about you, about the projects you're doing, about the next guy you're gonna be knocking out? Like, where can we find more about Shane Ball? Pretty easy guy to track down these days, you know. Just uh, find me. Ma- main spot is uh, that I that I hang out on is Instagram, of course. It's at the Couch Cook. Um, working a lot on my YouTube channel right now. It's I'm not presently super active, but I'm building a filming studio right now, an actual kitchen to film in. That's been a lot longer project than I wanted it to be to, <laughs> to get to this point. But we're really close. Like we're talking three weeks done. And then uh, my YouTube channel is going to be the spot to find me again, the couch cook. And uh, yeah, you can find me there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hold on just a second, Shane. I'm going to let our listeners out out. Um, folks, man, this has been a long, in-depth talk, but there's a lot to glean from this. I mean, we started out just talking about uh, like a ragu sauce. We're talking about a meat sauce here that, you know, we're not asking you to, you know, go all old grandma, old Italian grandma on this and spend hours and hours making a sauce. You can just take simple ingredients and make something amazing. All we're asking is try taking your good recipe and make it into a better recipe because then you're going to find that one day you're going to want to do the best recipe and that's where we find ourselves out here if you're ready for stuffed ravioli hey i invite you make your ravioli i want to see it and send it over to huntivore and to send it to the couch cook but folks as you're getting together and you're making your pasta or maybe you've got a guy who can make your pasta and as you're getting your filling prepared Make sure the blades of that processor are sharp.